Here come the ducks, hit the high baller. Shut up the dogs, stare at the water. I'll say when, hold on, y'all wait. Get them boys, boom, 12 gauge. Welcome to Fair Foul, motherfucker. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Fair or Foul. I'm Steven. And I'm Kyle. And on today's episode, we will be tackling some issues, including uh, the price of federal duck stamps increasing, um, the amount of deer that are on our roads, uh, give you guys some good duck recipes, and once again, we'll bring back our story time. So let's get into it. So I'm sure, just like everybody else did when they went out and bought their, their hunting license for this year and got all their stamps, they noticed the price increase for the federal duck stamp. It was you know, fifteen dollars, and then this year it's now what, like twenty five, twenty five, twenty eight, something like that. Yeah, a huge, doubled, tripled in price compared to last year. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't understand exactly why they did it. I read an article saying that uh, President Obama uh, cleared it and made it eligible to pass for the the increase. But do you know? Do you know what they're doing with the extra ten dollars? I have no clue because it doesn't make sense to me because, you know, here in Nevada, what they did is they used to last year and all the years before is you would buy your duck stamp with the state stamp and everything. And then you when you buy your federal stamp, like say you went to Walmart and bought it, they gave you the actual stamp and then that was it. You just put it on your license, signed across it or whatever. But this year they printed me a brand new license when I went to Walmart and bought mine that had the said federal duck stamp on it, which is cool. I thought that was it, but then they also sent me the actual stamp too, which I know it doesn't cost that much money, but I don't understand the point of charging us more and then having to send out, like you're printing new licenses and sending the stamp out now, so it almost seems like, I don't like, you're getting, you're spending the money, that, the extra $10 to send us the actual stamp and print us a license. I don't... Yeah, it's like we're paying, paying their damn postage fee. Exactly, which, I mean, if, if you're going to charge me an extra 10 bucks, I hope you're putting it towards conserving wildlife and making the duck habitat better and doing efforts to further advance duck population instead of charging me for mail, you know? (laughs) One of my buddies who uh, took me out hunting my first time, he actually said that uh, the federal duck stamp was the most, like, well-used wildlife, uh, like, restoration organization. Apparently it's, like, 99, like, more than 99%. Uh, of the funds go to um, like improving the wetlands and doing restoration projects. Doing good stuff, actually. Yeah. <laughs> doing what it's supposed to. The other whatever percent is just paying for the stamp itself. Which, yeah. I mean, they could still be doing that. I don't know. I'd, yeah. That's something that I should probably look into more is exactly where that money goes to. But uh, it's just... I don't know how how your experiences have been, Kyle, but like for me, buying a federal stu- duck stamp has always been a pain in the ass. Because you know, I've I've talked about this story with you personally, but like just going to Walmart and buying or Walmart anywhere, you know, you can anywhere you can buy your duck stamp. Walmart, <laughs> Walmart. <laughs> the people there's a lot of people don't understand how about the federal duck stamp, like. If you go to Walmart or somewhere like that, say, hey, I need to buy my federal duck stamp, half the time they don't even know what you're talking about. They're, what's your federal duck stamp? Or what's federal duck stamp? Oh, it's the federal stamp I need to buy to go duck hunting. Well, no, you just need the state one. No, I need the federal one too. And 
Then, like, my buddy has been uh, – he tried to buy his federal duck stamp last year at Walmart, and the guy just charged him for a brand-new license and didn't even give him the federal duck stamp. And so he spent $10 on nothing because he already had his license. It's uh, Buying the federal duck stamp is a process, but, I mean, I guess if the money goes towards stuff we need, then then that's all that matters, right? I mean, I'm happy with helping the ducks and the wildlife if I have to go through that process, but sometimes it's just a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, how how hard is it for Walmart to tell their employees that are running the, the gun counter and, like, the, <laughs> the hunting licenses that you need the, the duck stamp? Exactly. And I've when I bought my duck stamp this year, my federal duck stamp, it's literally as simple as, what's your name, this, okay, what's your, like, just your information, like, my personal information, and then federal duck stamp, print. That's yeah. all they had to do. It took... Two minutes once they finally got into it, but the process of getting it started, it's like, come on. Oh, I, I know the feeling, dude. When I <laughs> went into Cabela's, like, I almost got charged twice for it. And they, I don't know how many times they asked me, like, what stamps I need and which ones I already had. There was, like, four people trying to help me out. And they kept just, like, taking a little scanner gunny thing <laughs> to their book of barcodes and scanning every possible stamp. They asked me if I needed Upland, and I said, no, I'll get that later. And so they they scanned Upland, and it was like <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. And then they tried charging me for two hunting licenses, like both for California. Like I, I only need <laughs> one hunting license. I mean, it, you would think a, sp- a place like Cabela's, you know, which yeah. is world's foremost outfitters, would know. <laughs> hey, this is how this is what you need for hunting. But <laughs> everyone has their mistakes and struggles, I guess. The only way to to a certain extent, it, yeah. So now that we talked about our duck stamps, there's another issue I want to talk about right now just because it's personal to me right now. So I was driving home from work the other night, and it was dark. It was late. And there's a freeway that runs by my house. Um, I live out, and there's fields and farms and stuff. And it's out on the base of a mountain. So there's deer out there. But getting off the freeway, I have a two or three mile drive off the, from the freeway to my house. And as I'm getting off the freeway the other night, going 50 to 60 miles an hour because I just got off the freeway, there's a deer standing right on the off-ramp, right in the middle of the off-ramp. I hit it, mess up my truck, cost a lot of money. Okay, people hit deer. I always see deer. It's for, it's not anywhere near the freeway, but I see deer, so I'm always cautious right there. So I was, I was upset, but I was... Oh, okay with it, I, I guess is the best way you could put it. But then the next day, I'm driving home from work again, and on the freeway, five miles before I even get to my off-ramp, there's a deer in the middle of the freeway, and it was snowing that night. So luckily, it was I was in the right lane, the deer was in the left lane. But if I would have been in the left lane, and there it's snowing, and that deer's right there, I'm going to hit it again, and I'm driving someone else's car now while mine's in the shop. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if... <sighs> If the issue is, I mean, I know the issue is we're building roads where these deer live and where their habitat is, but I just, I don't know if there's more that the Department of Wildlife or the Department of Transportation can do. Because I know there's, the areas with the high volume of deer that get hit on the road, they put the over, like the bridges, the overpass things going over the top of the road so the deer can cross over the road, or they'll put up the high fences. But in these places like where I live, where there is deer and there's a freeway. I don't. I feel like there should be more done so people don't hit deer as, as often. Because I see dead deer a lot on the side of the road by my house. Where do you live again? 
I live in Washoe Valley, Nevada, so mm-hmm. over by in between Carson City and Reno. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And I mean I, I no one likes to hit deer. First of all, <laughs> even if you're a hunter, hitting a deer you obviously most hunters are ethical and it's like I don't want to kill a deer. Unless I have a tag, unless I'm doing it for meat or for game or whatever. You're so hitting a lot a, of the meat too. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> hitting a deer sucks personally just because you feel bad, but then also financially and physically can do you dam- damage. Luckily, I didn't get hurt when I hit the deer. Saw it at the last second and slowed down a little bit, even though I know you're not supposed to hit your brakes. Gonna <laughs> can roll up on your windshield, but uh, it's I I know there are efforts being taken to preserve the roadways and deer on the roadways and wild game in general. But I just, I want to know if there's more that we can do as drivers and as state uh, departments, what they can do as well. Yeah. It's it's interesting. You bring that up. I grew up in Pollock Pines, California, which is right next to Placerville. And, uh, on the, on the 50 corridor from Placerville on the way to Sacramento, uh, about two years before I graduated high school, they built a like a tunnel underneath the freeway instead of like one of those overpasses mm-hmm. that some countries do and some states do. They just built a huge tunnel underneath it, and it's this huge project. It cost you know the state so much money, and once like they finally had it all open, uh, they the deer like didn't really seem to use it as effectively as you know as Cal- Caltrans would have hoped. <laughs> I remember I was driving down to Sacramento one day, and I was like, oh, this is, like, right above where that tunnel's supposed to be. And I look on the side of the road, and there's a dead deer right there. <laughs> like, just been just been hit. Yeah. I saw the car pulling away. I don't I, I, I don't know how animals sink, but I those overpasses and, like, the tunnel stuff, I don't know. Do the animals realize, oh, hey, maybe I should go down there instead of just going straight across? I feel like they don't. I mean, but. It's, it's like it's habit for them. They're not going to be like, oh, well, there's probably a man-made tunnel because the exactly. humans for me. Exactly, like, yeah. They're just trying to get from point A to point B. And I'll clear, I know it happens all over, but like in Nevada, so my dad lives in Ely, Nevada, which is eastern Nevada. Okay. And whenever I go visit him, like I went on an elk hunt over there uh, in September, and there's a little town called Eureka, and it's about an hour before Ely. East or west of Ely, and every time you know I've made that drive a million times in my life, going back and forth between Reno and Ely, and there's always deer right there. Always have to be cautious. Just in that hour drive, I probably almost almost hit ten to fifteen deer plus an elk right there because there's so much wildlife, and it's it's really scary. My mom, before I was even born, actually was making that drive once, and within a within five minutes, she hit two deer. In that one area, one on the one jumped and hit the left side of her car. Then one, five minutes later, one hit the right side of her car. Is I had a lot of people have hit deer right there too. And it's just like those areas. I don't. I feel like there's something that we need to do to protect us and to protect the animals. But they can put up those those fancy signs that do a lot. Yeah, have a, a deer prancing around. Yeah. Oh, deer crossing. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I figured that since I'm in the mountains, but. <laughs> I don't think they, they we need to put the signs up there for the deer. They say like oh human crossing or something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now we got some good duck recipes to tell you guys about. Uh, over the weekend, I uh, I've wanted to do this recipe for the for a while. It's uh, bacon wrapped duck jalapeno poppers. I've had things like it before, but I've never actually had one. I've seen some recipes online and stuff so i decided to 
make my own variety of it almost. It's not super original, but it's really good. So what you need are jalapenos, obviously, uh, duck breast, however many you have, bacon and cream cheese, and then some seasoning, whichever, whatever seasoning you like. So what I did is I got my jalapenos, and I cut them in half, scraped out the seeds and stuff, and left a couple of seeds in there just for a little spice. It all depends on how much spice you like in your in your recipe and your food. And then um, I got my duck breast, and I filleted them out of the duck, obviously. So then I cut them into strips to fit in to about the same size as the jalapeno, just to fit in to the inside of it well. And I got a scoop of cream cheese, however much cream cheese you like. I like cream cheese, so I put a little more than I probably should. And I put that inside the jalapeno, and I get the, then I laid the strip of duck breast over top of it, and I got bacon and wrapped it all around that, put a little seasoning on top of that, put some chili powder and salt and pepper and a little bit of other good spices on it. And I stuck toothpicks through it to hold it together. Probably two toothpicks worked best. And I got my barbecue, and I turned it on medium heat. And you let it warm up, you know, get it going. And then you put the poppers on it, just right on, on the grill. And uh, what you don't, there isn't a certain time you have to cook it for. You just, once you cook it, you flip it to each, you, there's about four sides that you can flip it to. So the bacon, when the bacon is completely cooked through, then the whole popper is done. And let me tell you, they are delicious. I, I mean, it's... The, you you taste the duck, but not the duck isn't overwhelming, and it just everything mixes together, and the duck almost gives you a good texture to it. It's it was good. I was happy that I made it. I'm gonna be making it again in the future. Yeah, I'm gonna have to steal that recipe from. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't actually fry it like a, like a no. Pepper? I I just wrapped it and put it on the grill, and it, the grill gives it the good smoky flavor too. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, yeah brother. <laughs> so I did duck fajitas. Um, I know it still sounds a little weird using duck like in a Mexican style dish, <laughs> but um, what what my roommate and I did was we marinated the duck in uh, ginger and honey and teriyaki. Um, you can do ginger, honey, and soy, but you don't want to do you know both soy sauce and teriyaki because it just gets a little bit too salty, a little overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after you did that. Uh, you know, just typical fajitas. Get a red red bell pepper, orange bell pepper, and uh, yellow. For me, I, when I'm making something nice, I try to steer steer clear of the green ones. <laughs> They're basically just eating water. Yeah. Um. So saute those up with a uh, with some uh, purple onion, and then just uh, high heat, just real quick. Um, just threw the duck in there, uh, cut the breasts just in long strips. Um, this so it was real rare. It definitely wasn't well done, but you know that's I'm sure like how a lot of us like our meat. Yeah, like, real real rare. <laughs> um, so after you have all your veggies sautéed and and the duck um, real real quick cooked, um, we just used regular small uh, flour tortillas, and instead of using like a you know, like a normal paste salsa or something like that. We did, um, what did we do? We did mango habanero. Oof. And that kind of like, that with the honey and the ginger and the teriyaki just paired super good. Yeah, sweet and savory. That sounds good. Oh, yeah. It was, 
definitely something I'm going to be doing again <laughs> real quick here. Look at us being all chefy and yeah. <laughs> fancy like. I love cooking and trying different recipes with game meat. Oh, I love mm-hmm. doing it. I make some good elk, oh, yeah, elk burgers too, yeah. All right, so now we're going to jump right into story time. I know uh, last weekend I kind of gave you a little preview about what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about the first squirrel I ever shot and killed. Um, so I'll just get right into it. So about two summers ago, I was living in a trailer down by the South Fork of the American River. And it was right up against the river. There's a one house in between. And uh, it was about like a minute walk. And so it was just a bunch of oak trees and uh, I was right next to a campground. Uh, <laughs> that was bad. So there was just tons of tons and tons of squirrels around there. And all I had was a, a pellet gun. <laughs> uh, you know, just regular like crossman, pump it until you can't pump it anymore. The old school get an arm workout. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not like those fancy ones now where it's like a... <laughs> air cartridge or CO2 cartridge or like you break the barrel and then put yeah. the pellet in. So it was needless to say I didn't have the, the most power. I was sitting on my sitting on the front porch of the trailer just um just like relaxing on my day off. I was about to go kayaking. And the squirrel jumps out of this tree and lands about ten feet away from me on on the porch. This is it. Game on. <laughs> you have to go for it at that <laughs> You're point. Mine, fucker. <laughs> So I, I like slowly walked inside the trailer and I went and grabbed the grabbed the pellet gun and I just kind of like eased the barrel out the out the, the sliding glass door and I take the shot and I hit it because I know I hit it as it jumps up like three feet in the air and the scampers <laughs> up a tree only like ten feet and stops and stares at me so I'm standing there like pumping it again like as fast <laughs> as I can trying to get it like damn like I shot this thing from like ten feet away and it still didn't die. <clears throat> So I I re-aimed and I took the took the second shot and literally shot it out of the tree. Like it, I hit it and it jumped and it landed on the ground probably like 15 feet away. And then it ran probably I don't know maybe like 30 30 yards up to this next tree. And so naturally I ran the 30 yards right behind it. <laughs> Foot <And> race. <laughs> And I, I basically chased it up a tree like a dog would. And so I'm standing there underneath the tree looking up for it and just pumping the gun like crazy again. And this goes on, just me chasing it around this one tree. Like, I don't know how many times I shot it. Probably like 10 or 12 times. Jesus. It was like a solid 45-minute endeavor to get this <laughs> little squirrel that I was going to get hardly any meat from. A little strong bastard. Yeah. Ended up like shooting it and... I didn't find it out till later, but I shot it like in its spine when it was up in that tree, so like it couldn't move. So that explains why I had to throw a bunch of rocks up there. Yeah. One of my. <laughs> you got an old school like gun and rocks, You're like a caveman. Yeah. <laughs> I, I about shot number eight. Uh, one of my roommates that I was sharing the trailer with, he pulls into the the driveway, air quotes, <laughs> just a dirt area in front. Dirt of the patch. Yeah. <laughs> And he starts helping me throw rocks, and he starts helping me take some shots while I'm throwing rocks up there to knock it out of the tree. And then the owners of the house in between the river and us 
start going down the driveway while we're, you know, pointing the gun up in the air. Like, obviously shooting at something that was living. <laughs> and they're, they're real anti-killing. Ooh, so one of them. <laughs> hid the gun and pretended like we were um, hanging out. I don't know. It probably looks so stupid. But we ended up getting it down. And I was like, asked my buddy, like, you want to you wanna help me, like, skin it and get the meat and barbecue it real quick? And he, he was really hungover. <laughs> so the first side of blood from skinning it, uh, he ran into the trailer and puked. <laughs> and uh, so I finally get all the skin off and get it uh, just basically the carcass and the meat. And those, those things look buff. Yeah, they're, they're just like pure muscle. Yeah. Muscle hamster. <laughs> yeah. So I just seasoned the shit out of it. Threw it on my little little uh, Coleman charcoal grill. And cooked it up real good. Put some like slap your mama on it. Oh, slap your mama's good. So good. <laughs> but it was good. I liked it and tried to offer a piece to my, my, my roommate and he like ran to the bathroom again at the side of it. But that's my, that's my squirrel story. I've never eaten squirrel. Uh, I've heard it's pretty good though. I think it's better fried or like in a stew. Yeah. It's so tough. Yeah, that makes sense. All, like I said, it's all muscle running up trees and stuff. So, <laughs> all right. So my story time. All since I was talking about it kind of earlier, but I'll talk about my elk hunt that I went on this year and over by Ely, Nevada. It was growing up, my dad lived in Ely, and Ely is known for. I mean hunting and a lot of elk hunting and stuff my uncles have had elk guiding services and so i've been around elk hunting my entire life so i've been putting in for an elk tag in nevada since i was 12 since i was able to and i knew around the time 20 anywhere from 18 to 22 i'd probably get an elk tag so i was just i've been waiting for the past couple years to actually draw it and tags came out this year saw that i got an elk tag so I'm pumped. It's archery elk tag. I love archery hunting. I've never actually killed an animal archery hunting, but I've had archery deer tags and stuff, and I've always practiced. So I was pretty pumped. So, you know, the time comes, and it's time for me to go to Ely for my elk hunt. I went, I was only able to get a week and a half of, off of work instead of, and the elk season's three weeks long. So I went down for the last week and a half of the elk season to catch the, when the elk start running hard. So I get down there, uh, my dad had set up some uh, blinds on a water hole for me. Uh, it's, as he put it, it's the best water in all the land, all in that entire area. So I was feeling pretty excited and he actually, last year, my dad last year killed a, a good bull right off that same water. So I, we had some our trail cams up too, got some pictures of some good bulls coming in. So I was pretty excited. So we get in there, first morning I'm sitting in the blind, you know, get in right at first light, have a cow come in, but we heard a, we had a cow come in, start to come in, then we heard a bull down below her, not bugling, but almost barking at us, and so I was getting all excited, you know, first morning, like, oh man, this is going to happen right away. The cow spooks, my dad, of course, was asleep, and I'm sure he was snoring, and she heard that, so he's there, so she spooks. The bull never comes in. And, yeah, the rest of the morning was slow. Had some deer come in in the afternoon. My dad got out of the blind, so I was in there by myself. And had a few cows and a spike come in that night. That was it. So I was like, okay, you know, tomorrow I feel confident it's going to happen. 
the next four days sat in there by myself from first morning, you know, or, or first light, you know, six o'clock until dark at six or seven or whenever it was. I, I believe it was seven that it got dark at that time. 13 hours a day by myself in there for the next four days. Nothing. I mean, I'd have a couple cows, some small bulls, really small bulls, like spike stuff come in. That was it. And I was, at that point, I was getting very frustrated. You know, it gets, it, the hunting's not fun at that point, it seems like. You know, you're just sitting there bored out of your mind. I, oh yeah, I, I was cussing myself and I was, I wanted to sleep in the blind, but I would, I didn't want to be, you know, fall asleep and then miss an elk coming in since I'd been so frustrated. And so finally, on the fifth night, I'm sitting in there. It's about to get dark. We're probably an hour away from dark. Nothing's come in, and I'm, I'm pissed at this point. You know, my dad, he had been up glassing up higher on the mountain above me, and he, I had, we had service, so I was texting him. He was telling me how he saw some bulls that morning up high, and he thinks that they're going to come in because I was the only water for a few miles around there. And... So I'm like, I, I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe something's gonna happen. Nothing came in, and I'm, like I said, I'm pissed. And finally, yeah, I hear something coming, and I look, and it's mustangs, wild horses. And I was like, God, <laughs> damn it! And so they're at the water, and you know, mustang, wild horses, they they frustrate me too because they come into water holes, they stomp water, they destroy it, and water dries up a lot faster when they're around. My dad had to re he dug up that water hole three or four times throughout the summer this summer, just trying to keep water in there. And so they come in, they're splashing around, kicking logs around. And I'm like, God damn it, this water's gonna dry up. I'm gonna have to dig it up again tonight when I leave. And then I look up in this on this hillside. 80 yards out and I see some elk antlers coming through the trees I'm like oh hell yeah here we go this looks like a good bull but I didn't get a good look and then finally I see it stop I can't see its antlers I can just see its face through some trees and it's looking at the mustangs and it's hesitant to come in because of these horses are there and so it kind of like does a little half circle and comes back to where I first saw it and I see a glimpse of it and I see it's a good bull and then it goes behind this tree and I'm waiting for it to come out and it never comes out Two minutes later, Coyote goes running right where it was. And I was like, God damn it, you know, this, that bull just blew out of here. I'm not going to get a chance at him. Like, I'm all pissed off again. And so I'm, I'm talking to my brother. He's like, oh, you know, like I'm texting him. He's like, just stay calm, you know. It's probably gonna, that bull's going to come back in. Just wait, just be patient. And so I'm waiting, waiting. And I hear another noise come from the side. I'm like, oh, here it comes. It's a deer. And it was a good buck, actually, you know. But I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm all pissed off. So, But I'm like, oh, at least I'm watching this deer. There's something going on. And then all of a sudden, my dad, he's coming to pick me up on his side-by-side, and I hear him coming up the road. And so I'm texting him, telling him, don't come up here, don't come up here. You know, there's, there's this elk here. I don't know if it's going to come in or not, but don't come up here. He luckily checks his phone for whatever reason below, before he got to me and sees, hey, don't come up here. And right when I hear him getting close, the elk, that bull comes through the trees. And I'm, I'm all afraid now that my dad's going to blow him out of here because he's on the side-by-side coming up the road, and you can hear him. Luckily, he stops, turns it off, and I'm waiting. And I can't tell how big this bull is because it's getting darker, and it looked like it was missing a couple points on one side. So I was like, I don't know if I want to shoot it. We'll decide, or I'm trying to decide. And right when I decided I wanted to shoot it, I heard there was another noise off to the side, and the bull started bugling. And about 30 cows came running in, cow elk. And I'm like, oh, god damn it, because they surrounded him, and I couldn't get a shot. So I'm all frustrated. And I'm like, God, I just want to shoot, just want to shoot. And I couldn't. 
And then finally I get a shot at 30 yards, but he's quartering towards me a little bit. So I was like, okay, I'll wait for him to turn a little bit more so I can get a good shot, a good broadside shot. Of course, something spooks one of the cows. They run out to 60 yards. And at this point, I mean, I got like 10 minutes of shooting light left. So I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to have to wait another day for this because I don't know if I'm going to have time to shoot. Finally, he turns broadside and at 63 yards, I pull back my bow and I'm resting and I feel confident I let the arrow fly and you see him drop down and then take off. And I'm like, oh, hell yes, I hit him. I think I'm pretty sure like it looked like I hit him good. And I hear crashing all around and he ended up actually running right below like below me by my dad ran 10 yards away from or by my dad because he didn't know my dad was there my dad saw him and so we backed off and we came back the next morning we tracked him for a while my arrow completely passed through but found him dead blood everywhere finally found dead though i was it was an exciting hunt it was yeah it was it's a thrill when you kill an elk like that such a big animal so that'll be this episode of fair foul thank you guys for listening uh we have at least one more episode coming up in the near future so stay tuned for that we'll keep you guys updated follow us on twitter and facebook and instagram search fair foul uh follow us on soundcloud fair foul again and yeah stay up to date with everything we got i'm steven and i'm kyle have a good one